as we get ready to start a new chapter in the book of Romans, let, let's, let's just take a couple moments just to reflect. The, the, these sermons have been spread out over quite some time. And I want us to remember uh, that Paul began this letter about that middle part of chapter 1 by pointing out the great theme of the book of Romans, and that is Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, the gospel of Christ, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then from that moment forward, Paul has been making an indictment against sin. Uh, He will not get to the good news of the gospel again until the latter part, or about the third part of chapter 3. And he is pressing on that all may know that they are sinners in need of a Savior, both Jew and Gentile. They have all sinned, they have all fallen short of the glory of God, both sinful and under the wrath of God and condemnation of God. And so Paul began uh, this condemnation of uh, condemning sin by pointing out uh, the immoral, if I could say that, the immoral pagan, the, the one who is just living according to the world and just to satisfy their own pleasures and lusts and uh, he said that they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, that they have become fools, and God has given them over to a debased, depraved mind to do those things which are not fitting. And then Paul presented that horrible list of sins there at the end of chapter 1 and stated that those who practice such things are deserving of death. And then... Paul took it even further by saying not only those who practice such things are deserving of death, but those who approve of those who practice such things are deserving of death. And then he moves on into chapter 2. And in the first part of chapter 2, I believe I, I, I put it this way, that he was addressing the moral pagan or the moral Gentile, the, the one who could say, but, but I don't, that's not me. I don't do those things. You know, those who, uh, who were living a, a more of an upright life, even without God, uh, that they had ethics, that they had some morals. And, and we know that's an imprint of God if they do, right? We know that's an imprint from God if they do. But Paul stops them in their tracks. Because they saw he's not talking to us, and he's saying, yes, I am. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. Because Paul knows them. And it's, it's as though he says, yes, it is about you, because you judge others while doing the very same things that you are condemning others for. He knew them. He knew them. And then he goes on to say that because of the hardness of their unrepentant hearts, that they are treasuring up for themselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will judge all according to truth. Then next, uh, Paul exposes the Jews who would argue 
their race, their heritage from Abraham, the mark of the covenant uh, that they bore on their bodies in circumcision, and that they and they alone had been given the law. That was where they stood, and that was their shield that they would hold up. But Paul pointed out that they were indeed lawbreakers, and that the name of God had been blasphemed among the Gentiles because of their sinfulness. Then Paul crushed any remaining security that the Jew might have been clinging to by saying this in Romans 2, verses 28 and 29. This is where we ended up last week. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Now let me pause there. How would that have hit the ear of the Jew? Oh, now wait a minute, Paul. You, you, you don't know what you're talking about. See, that's how, that's how it would have hit their ear, I believe. Verse 29, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. Yes, they were descendants from Abraham. Yes, they had been given the law of Moses. Yes, they bore the mark or sign of the covenant by physical circumcision. But I asked this question last week, but what were they missing? The spirit. The spirit. The Spirit. They did not bear the mark upon their hearts. Uh, all they had were physical things, but not the spiritual mark of a true child of God, a true child of the covenant, the circumcision of the heart wrought by the Spirit. And now this brings us uh, to chapter 3. And today we're just going to read the first two verses and uh, see what the Lord has for us today. So Romans 3. 1 and 2. What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. So let's pray once again. The Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. And I just pray now that, that Lord, what we know not, you teach us, what we have not, You would give us. And most of all, Father, who we are not, make us. For Your great name, and in Christ's name I pray, Amen. Amen. Now let's keep in mind that Paul had been preaching the Gospel for quite some time before this letter was written. And Paul had already been in situations where he had combative Jews. So Paul knew how this letter was going to be received. Because he'd been out there. He'd been before the masses. He'd been preaching. He had been hearing those things coming back at him. And he was very familiar with the reactions and objections that his message would bring from the Jews. In Acts 21, let's go there. In Acts 21, this, this is where Paul attempted to visit the temple in Jerusalem to worship. Uh, they had him and some other men had just gone through a process of purification, and they, they was going to the temple. And just in these two verses, listen. Now when the seven days were almost ended, that was that period of purification that, that the men had been going through, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, seeing Paul, 
in the temple, look, look what they did, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Now, laid hands on him, not in a nice way. This is fists, okay? Laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! Come help us. Come help us. we got to get this man. Help. Men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people. What what people? The, the covenant people. The Jews. Help. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people. The law. And this place. The temple. And this place. And furthermore... He also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Paul knew what the gospel message would bring. He'd been there before. So he knew how this message or this letter to the Jews in Rome was going to be received, didn't he? And they had laid hands on him. They sought to kill him. Because to them, the message that Paul was preaching was blasphemy. So he knew quite well the objections. And also keep in mind that before his Damascus Road experience, that was Paul. That was what he thought. All the objections he was hearing was the same objections that he had before the Lord shone light into a dark place. So understand that. We talked about it some last Sunday. How long did it take Paul to overcome all that he had been taught and all that he had held on to? All I once held dear. But now in Christ, to know Christ, to know Him. And so he knew the objections because he had been there. That had been Him. And now, in verse 1, just Romans 3, 1. What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? So here's the question from the Jews. This is the question that Paul knew he would face. So, what about being a Jew? What, what about circumcision? And the reaction of the Jews might have been something like this. And I'm going to read Lloyd-Jones. I'm going to... It's just today is Lloyd Jones Day, as far as you know. Some days Piper Day, some days MacArthur Day, or, or Boyce or or Barnhouse or somebody. But today it's Martin Lloyd Jones Day, man. When I read what he talked about on this, but here's here's Martin Lloyd Jones' idea of what the Jews might have said. Quote: Wait a minute, Paul. You've gone a little bit too far, have you not? You have been carried away by your own eloquence and you have finished off by saying that there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. Are you really saying and teaching that the Jew literally had no advantage whatsoever over the Gentile? That really there was no point at all in being circumcised? Is that what you're teaching? 
Are you really suggesting that when God called Abram and turned him into Abraham and into a nation, that when he gave the promises and introduced the seal of circumcision and formed this nation for himself and gave them the law and so on, are you really saying that it was a waste of time? That seems to be your conclusion. Because you say that the Jews are as much under the wrath of God as the Gentiles and that all they have got does not save them. You seem to be saying that there is absolutely no difference at all. Does that therefore mean that there was no purpose and no point in being a Jew and that the Jew has no advantage whatsoever? Furthermore, the questioner continues, are you not virtually saying that there is really no value at all in the Old Testament? So why, therefore, do you do we have an Old Testament? This argument of yours, Paul, in chapter 2 must surely be wrong because it seems to be leading to the inevitable conclusion that you can wipe out the Old Testament because there was no point at all in having it. End quote. And very well, that could have been the objections, couldn't it, from the Jews. Because you see, they believed that God was obligated to save them because they were Jewish. Because they were specially called by God. And there are many scriptures that may have come to their mind. Just, just a couple, Deuteronomy 14.2. For you are the holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you, and he's talking to the Israelites, to the Jews, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That's what the Lord said. How about in Exodus 19, verse 6? And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, it seems that perhaps they only wanted to remember the passages they wanted to remember. Does that happen today? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There are many people, oh, they want to claim this verse and that verse, but oh, when there's a verse that convicts them of their sin, oh, they'll put that off to the side. No, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about all these good promises over here. Not about my lifestyle. Not about my sin. Let's, let's leave that alone. But because, here, see, there is Exodus 19.6. We're going to back up one verse to verse 5. Exodus 19.5 Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then, you've heard of if-then statements, right? Does God put conditions upon His promises? Yes, He does. He does. And here's one. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments. Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. But they didn't keep 
God's covenant. They were lawbreakers. As we all were. So, is there any priority? Is there any partiality? Is there any advantage? Any benefit to being a Jew? Well, let's see what Paul says in Romans 3, 2. Much in every way, exclamation mark, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. And we'll talk about that chiefly in a minute. But, but Paul will speak more of this. Uh, let, let's go to Romans 9, verses, five, uh, verses 3 through 5. Romans 9, 3 through 5. And this is Paul just pouring out his heart, broken hearted for his, his, uh, his fellow Jews who, who could not see the truth. And he says, beginning verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. So he's talking about those descended from Abraham who are Israelites. Now listen to this list. To whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. Were there advantages to being a Jew? <laughs> yes. Yes. Much in every way adopted as children of God. That they had witnessed Glory of God on Mount Sinai. The, the glory of God led them by day and by night. The glory of God was in their presence and in the midst of their holy places. They had received the covenants, the law, and the promises. They had been called to service of God through the priests and the prophets. Theirs were the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And theirs was the physical lineage from which Jesus Christ Himself came. Who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. But chiefly, you know, there, there was quite the list of, of things there. But in chapter 3, it's chiefly because of them were committed the oracles of God. Chiefly of first importance. To them was committed. To them was entrusted to protect and preserve. To them was given the oracles of God. Now, don't let that little word oracles turn you upside down. Because actually, back in the day, that word oracles was probably more used in the occult of the day than anything else. And so why the translators, there, there were several, I think uh, Lloyd-Jones and MacArthur and some of them questioned why did the interpreters interpret this as oracles. But it, it is the Greek word logian. And again, I get this from MacArthur, I think. The, the Greek word is logian, which is a diminutive of logos, or logos, and we know what that is, which is most commonly translated as word, 
is word. So Logan is only used four times in Scripture, and it generally referred to important sayings or messages. So we know we have one in, in Romans 3, 2. Let's go ahead and read the others, just so you can see where they're at. And, and you know these verses. How about Acts 7, verse 37 through 39? This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give us. And so what was it referring to there? What's the living oracles that came from Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Written by God's own hand, you see. So here are the living oracles whom our fathers would not obey. Man. Whom our fathers would not obey but rejected, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. Now let's go to Hebrews 5, verse 12. Another instance. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. In other words, the Scriptures. I believe that's referring to the Scriptures here. Now the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. See, this is those who weren't didn't seem to be progressing, progressing in their sanctification. That they needed to be coddled. That they, they weren't getting into the Word, the, the first principles, the basic doctrines, perhaps, of the Word of God. And then in 1 Peter 4, verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, be careful what you say. Let it be from the truth of God's Word. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, re receiving the oracles of God, a, a supreme privilege. Can we all say amen to that? What a supreme privilege that was given to the Jews that they were the ones who received the oracles of God. And they were the only nation that had them, that had received them. God did not speak to other nations. He spoke only to this one nation He made for Himself as a peculiar, particular treasure and possession for Himself. God spoke to man. There's no higher privilege than that. And that is why there is much advantage in every way. But because think of the light and the knowledge and the information that this Word of God had brought to the Jews. Think about that. Lloyd-Jones, quote, there were the other nations living in pagan darkness, ignorance, and blackness. They were worshiping a multiplicity of gods, building their temples, living in a state of fear, seeing gods in trees and in stones and in the very elements. 
God had spoken to this nation Israel and given them to understand that there was only one true and living God. God is one. He had given them knowledge about that and about Himself. He had revealed His character, His nature, and His works. But He had not stopped at that. He had made a covenant with them. He had entered into a covenant with their father Abraham. He had said, I will bless thee. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. The greatest thing of all, however, was the fact that through these oracles of God, they were given the hope. The hope of the coming of the Messiah. The other nations had no hope at all, but Israel had a hope. There was a great deliverer to come. The promise, the Messiah, the light in the darkness, they alone had it. What a privilege! But over and above that, God had not only given them these oracles and given them the information contained in them, He had entrusted the oracles to their safekeeping. He had handed them over to them. They were to be the guardians and custodians. They had the knowledge and they were to make it known. What a privilege to be God's spokesman, God's representative. It was a great privilege to have all this knowledge because it is this knowledge that leads a man to see and to know that he is a sinner, that he is under the wrath of God, and that leads him, therefore, to go to God seeking mercy and deliverance and salvation. The pagan does not know that. He is ignorant. He does not have this light. He does not have this information. He does not know God in this way. And he does not know the character of God because he remains under the wrath of God and under condemnation. But the Jew has the advantage of all this knowledge. And this knowledge should lead him to repentance and to seek salvation from God much, every way, chiefly because That unto them was committed, entrusted the oracles of God. This is the Apostles' statement. Can you stay with me if I read some more? Stay with me now. Because here, I I could try to reword and paraphrase, but I'm not going to from what he says because he speaks it so well. Because now, now listen to Lloyd-Jones. He gives the exhortation. He gives the application, as some would say, of, of what we have read and looked at today. Now listen. But once more, this is Lloyd-Jones, quote, But once more I say that I cannot leave it just like that. We must apply all this to ourselves. We do not study the Scriptures simply to have an academic discussion. We do not take an objective view of Scriptures. We know that it is speaking to us as we read it and want to put it to you like this. The highest privilege of the Jew was that he had his Old Testament Scriptures. There is no greater privilege than this. Do you realize, I wonder, what a privilege it is to have these Scriptures? New Testament as well as old. Do you realize the advantage of having an open Bible? Do we realize the advantage and the privilege of having these living oracles of God? Let me ask a further question. Do we realize that our Bible is the Word of God? That is what the Scripture is saying. The Old Testament is the oracles of God. The New Testament also is the oracles of God. This is no ordinary book 
This is the Word of God. Do we show that we realize that? And what a privilege it is by reading it, studying it, delving into it, spending our time praying over it. Do not misunderstand me. You have other things to read, which you must read. But I am asking you this. Do you, when you come to this book, read it as a matter of custom or of practice because you have decided to have a quiet time in the morning and read a few verses before you run off to something else? Is that the way you approach it? Or do you say, Here, God is speaking to me. And I am reading because it is God's direct Word. Again, I ask, do we give as much of our leisure time to it as we do to other words, newspapers, for instance? Let me pause there. Now, we don't have a whole lot of newspapers. They're still around, but, but what do we have? It's what we have. I've got a Bible on all my things and, and stuff like that, but, but you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Again, I ask, do we give as much of our leisure time to, to it as we do to other words, newspapers, for instance? My friends, if we do not give more time to this than to these other things, it is simply because we do not realize that it is the oracles of God. We may say so theoretically, but if we really believed it, we would soon show it in practice. But there is something further. Unto them were committed the oracles of God. And you know that the oracles of God have been entrusted to us to guard them, to keep them, to defend them. You, as Christian people, as members of the Christian church, are to defend this truth as the Word of God and to contend for it. We must therefore know the arguments. We must busy ourselves with these things because it is the Word of God that God has entrusted to us and obviously it has been entrusted to us not simply that we should keep it and guard it, but that we should teach others. And then finally, it seems to me, Lloyd-Jones says, that we are entitled to deduce this principle, what advantage then hath the Jew... Or what profit is there of circumcision? Sometimes today that is put in this way. People say, do the children of Christian parents have any advantage at all over other children? Is there any advantage, therefore, of having Christian parents? It is precisely the same question. And there are people who have said, you know, I have almost wished sometimes that I had been a terrible drunkard or something like that in my past life in order that I may have some great changeover in my experience. And I have heard people say that. I thank the Lord He protected me. I, I praise the Lord that I didn't go down a path of destruction first but that I was brought up in a Christian home, that I was taken to... I, I don't remember a time that I wasn't taken to church. And I thank the Lord for that. I thank the Lord He had pressed on me the love for the piano and singing. Because at age 13, I was playing piano and singing with little groups already. 
I, I wasn't going out on Friday night or Saturday night drinking and partying. I was going to church and singing. And the Lord was protecting me, you see. And, and I thank the Lord for that. Back, back to Lloyd-Jones. Now, if we say these things like that, you know, to have this experience, to uh, boy, I wish I could have been a down-in-the-gutter type thing. Now, if we say things like that, we are uttering the very same fallacy with which the apostle is dealing with here. The advantage that the children of Christian parents have is that they have this teaching, this Word of God, these oracles of God, this learning, this knowledge, this information. They ought to come to repentance long before anybody else because they are under the sound of it all. They are hearing it. They are familiar with it. And it ought to bring them to conviction. We cannot guarantee that it will, but they have the advantage. They have the opportunity. It is a marvelous thing to be a, be children of Christian parents. If the Christian parents are truly behaving as such, See, they're putting it back on the parents. So we can deduce that argument also from these verses. But we can also put it the other way. It is the business of Christians to make known to their children these oracles of God, which have been entrusted to them, so that in latter life the children shall say, I thank God I had a Christian father, a Christian mother. I cannot tell you what I owe to them. I first came into this Christian life because of what my mother taught me when I stood at her knee or sat upon her lap or because of something I heard my father say out of the Word of God. There it is. This is the advantage. And we should not only rejoice in it, but we should have a sense of compassion for all little children who are denied such an opportunity. And we should do all that we can to enable them to hear the oracles of God and their wonderful teaching. Oh yes, what an advantage! Unto them were committed the oracles of God. End quote. I love Lloyd-Jones and how the Lord has used, had, had used him in his life. Because there's much there in there. And he's just speaking as the Lord has impressed him in the Word of God. Because th this is from sermons that, that he preached. I think it took him 13 years to get through the book of Romans. And this is notes and, and papers that were taken from those sermons. And I thank the Lord that they were preserved. Is God's Word important? That's a silly question, isn't it? It is everything. It is the very food that gives us spiritual nourishment. And, and don't you like what Lloyd-Jones says? That, that we, of course, for our very own children, oh, may we make it a point to be the example of a Christian mother and father. To, to teach them Bible stories. To teach them the oracles of God. To have family prayer and, and family Bible time and, and, and family praise and worship. Because we need the Word. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All Scripture 
is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? Why do we need that? Verse 17, that the man of God, man, woman, child of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, it's through the Word of God that we are equipped to go out and do service for our Lord. The Word of God, moved along by the Spirit of God, rebukes our sin, corrects us, and then leads us in righteousness. See, we were all born again by the Spirit as the Spirit revealed the truth of God to us. Can I say it that way? I think that's pretty accurate. We, we are born again. We are saved as the Spirit of God moves upon us, revealing to us the truth of God that's found in His Word. 1 Peter 1, verse 22 and 23. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Born again through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. In James 1, verse 18, of His own will, the Lord, of His will, of His own will, He brought us forth by the Word of truth. Why? that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. So then I would ask the question to any who would listen, has the Spirit of God made the oracles of God, the Word of God, alive in you? Has it become truth in the inward heart? In the heart? And then the question, do you believe? Do you truly believe? Believe. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. Let's read it again. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, the circumcision of the heart. Now, to be able to believe in your heart, this has to be an act of God. This has to be an act that is wrought by the Spirit of God. Because anybody can mumble the word, yeah, I believe. But is it a belief that is unto salvation wrought by the Spirit of God as He has revealed truth to you? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See, we we believe with the heart. As the Spirit moves and the truth of God is revealed, and then what do we do? Do we keep it inside? No. No. We confess. We confess our sins to the Lord, and we make confession to others to tell them, to tell them of what the Lord has done. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him, the Lord will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
So by faith, unto salvation, from a heart that has been touched by the Spirit of God and revealed the truth of God, do you believe? Let's go back to where we started. Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the just shall live by faith. So for those who believe the message of the cross, it becomes for them the power of God unto salvation. I love that. It becomes the power of God unto salvation. But for those who do not believe, for those who are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness that Paul talked about in Romans 1, what? Well, Romans 2, verse 8 and 9, he says this of them. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. John 3.36 He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Christ died for our sins upon the cross to take upon Himself the penalty for sin, to take upon Himself the wrath of God to secure for us eternal life for all who would believe. Wrath for the unbeliever, but blood-bought mercy for the believer. Let's, let's read once again Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to God the Father. And that's through Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 21-26. Uh, let's, let's close with this. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Why? Why would He do that? To demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, all who by faith truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ will be saved from wrath. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give thanks for Your Word. 
where it is life, it is truth. And Lord, without it, we would be lost. Because it tells us of You. It reveals You, Lord, and Your character and who You are. And it also reveals who we are. It's like a mirror that we can stand in front of. And if we would let it speak, it will reveal everything about us. So Father, if, should there be someone who is yet lost, an unbeliever, I pray, Father, that You would have mercy. That You would take the blinders off. That You would open their ears to hear. That You would shine light into a dark place and reveal truth to them by Your Spirit. Lord, draw them to Yourself. Granting them faith to believe. Granting them repentance as they confess their sins to You and and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Father, and help them that they could turn from their sinful ways and turn and follow Christ the remainder of their days. And Lord, for all of us who are born again, remind us, Lord, remind us of the need, of the need to stay in Your Word, to draw strength from the living water that it is the very food that nourishes our soul. So help me not to forget. Help us all, Lord, not to forget. Let us treasure Your Word. Let us count it as the most important book, the most important thing that we could read. Lord, by our actions, let it be so. So Father, help us, I pray. In Christ's name, Amen.